This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, you know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. I'm not going to badmouth today's country music, but I have a friend, a songwriter buddy of mine, that said today's country music sounds like three beer commercials strung together. Because they just don't tell stories anymore. It's like, you're hot, I'm hot, get in the truck. All right, episode 420, Heath Wright from Ricochet. You'd know Ricochet from Daddy's Money. She's got a daddy's money. Her mama's good looks, more laughs than a stack of comic books. What do I know? Which one top three? I've got freedom in it. Love is Stronger Than Pride. Ricochet, The Hits and More, Then and Now, came out on August 18th. They're from Oklahoma. My, my question is, because my wife ended up coming down. She's only ever been down twice. Mm-hmm. She came down to watch this because she knows Heath, because she grew up with Heath, because Heath's older than her, but it's from the same town, basically. Did you set this up? Because you knew that? I didn't have any idea. I remembered after the fact that you had mentioned being at a party where he was and performed. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's why. A funeral. Wasn't there another situation where they were? The they, Opry. Okay, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, but she said, did Mike, she, she just knew that you knew. She was like, surely he said, I said, no, I don't think so. I think it's because they have a record out. Yeah, it was the record. You know, we try to do a lot of different artists. I just love doing the 90s country ones. Yeah, me too. So, all right, Ricochet. They won ACM Award back in the day. It's something I didn't know about them, and you'll hear it later. Not a, it's not a spoiler. Who cares? They started as a cover band. It's so rare that that happens where there's a cover band that's so good they turn into like a band that's actually making original music. So there they are. Ricochet. For more information, ricochetonline.com. I, I can't spell ricochet, though, so good luck. Google it. All right, thank you. Here is Heath Wright from Ricochet. Heath, good to see you, buddy. You too, Bobby. Good uh, to be here. My wife is also in the room. She didn't want to be a part of the, the interview or anything, but she was like, hey, I want to go down and, and hang out. She's only ever done this twice. Jake Owen, who's a friend of ours, and Ronnie Dunn, who's a friend of ours, and you, who she's known since she said she was five years old. Eight? Well, no, I think zero. 
Zero years old? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've known your families long before you were, you were born. I, I grew up with your uncle, your how, uncle Jeff. Yes. So how did how did how do you know her family? Well, they're from Vianne, Oklahoma. Her her mom and and her uncle Jeff grew up in Vianne, Oklahoma, which is where I'm from. And oh, you're from Vianne. I'm from Vianne. Yes. So I'm, I will. I grew up on a cattle ranch just north of Vianne. Yeah. Went went to all public school all through Vianne. You know, so that's uh, her her uncle Jeff and I like marched in high school band together. Along with one of the original members of Ricochet, whom I think you guys know, Greg Cook. We know Greg, yeah. yeah. So he's uh, the three of us. We were kind of, you know, we were band nerds back in the day. So you and Jeff were friends, mm-hmm. and Jeff and Greg were friends? Technically, it's more like the other way around. Jeff and Greg were friends. They were in the same class. They graduated in 83, and I was the young kid that just kind of hung out with them. I graduated a couple of years later than them, after them. We were over at Jeff's house, and he had instruments everywhere in his house. He had, like, horns, and he had, like, seven horns. <laughs> yeah. Well, he buys things off, off of, you know, he'll go on Facebook Marketplace, and he'll just buy anything that's available, and he'll donate it to the school. Because he lives – he splits his time between Houston and Vianne now. He's re- he retired, like, at age 43 or something and, and uh, decided to come back home and bought the oldest house in Vianne, renovated it, and then just started – he's on this Vianne school board now, and he's, he does things for our community. He helped bring – some industry into Vianne, like we have a Love's gas station now because of a... I've been to that Love's many times. Have you really? I've been to Vianne many times. My son works there now. Really? <laughs> yeah. So wait, do you, so where do you live, live though? I live on at the cattle ranch just north of there. Oh, you yeah. still live in Vianne? I grew, I, I grew up in Vianne. I moved off. I came here to Nashville May 18th, 1993. I lived here exactly 15 years. I got the last load of stuff, moved back to my ranch on May 18th, 2008. We saw you here at the Opry. Yes. yes when you guys played the Opry... And we saw you in Oklahoma. You you and Greg played at Caitlin's grandfather's funeral. Yes. So I didn't know quite where you lived. I yeah. know you're you're. I, I mean, it would be nice to live back home, though, wouldn't it? I, mean, I love it. The best? I moved, like I said, I moved back home in 2008, and I had moved so many times in my career and my life. I uh, I just told the guys that helped me get all my stuff back. I said, guys, the next time y'all help me move, you're going to be moving me from here to the funeral home because I'm dying here. I'm never never leaving again. But I come back to Nashville every two or three months to. Do stuff like this. So when you guys are putting out the the hits and more, is the name of the record. It is then and now. Ricochet then and now. The hits and more. I don't know why we decided to, to name it twice, but you know, it's a sixteen song project. But there's new stuff on it. There is new stuff. Yeah, it's a okay. whole album's worth of new stuff. Ten new songs that we'd kind of even back when Greg was in the band, we were uh, we would go in after we left Columbia Records back in two thousand. We would go into the studio with a producer and cut three or four sides, and then. Two or three years later, we'd do the same thing when we could afford it. We were self-produced and self-funded back then. So as we could afford it, we would go back into the studio and cut another two or three sides. And we had 10 songs ready to release and no record label to help us get it out there and dis- distribute it in, you know, nationwide. So it just sort of sat in the can for several years. And so this, this stuff is some recordings that we did ourselves. Now, when I say that, I'll, your viewers probably already know this, but Nashville has a certain way of doing things. Back in the 90s, we weren't even allowed to play on our own records. So, Meaning you had to hire We had to hire studio, studio cast. Yeah. I, I got to play some on the first album and a little bit on the third album. I was the only one in the band that ever played on any of our, our original stuff. And that's because the label was like, if we're going to pay for it, yeah. we need to hire these specific people to yeah. play on it so that it sounds perfect. Exactly. And, and you know, like I said, they have a certain way of doing it. Producers like to get it done with over and it's, – it's a process. And they wanted to streamline the process as quickly as possible so that they can have more of the production money to put in their own pockets. It's just the way it works. It's just efficiency, you know. And it takes us – it might take us a little bit longer, but that's all right. It's, it's us playing. So when we went in to do these, every note on the record, on the on the 
all two uh, 10 new, new sides as well as the six old songs that we re-recorded it's us playing us singing some bands don't even get to sing on their own records wait what yeah it happens some bands I only know the, one the lead, singer, the lead singer the lead singer will sing but they'll God, bring in yeah. harmony guys to do all the, the harmony vocals why yeah. did I do that on our comedy record I, yeah <laughs> that would so much easier if I just got somebody to sing for my part uh, when you put out the new songs when you record them I mean, are these songs that you've had for a little bit you're like man I cannot wait to cut these we feel so good about it or did you kind of write them because you were going to do something new well, a little bit of both. Like I said, we weren't chasing radio at the time, so we weren't looking for the next hit. We were just recording songs that we love. So there's going to be some songs on here that your viewers and your listeners wouldn't expect from Ricochet. There's a song, one of my favorites is a tune that Mark Broussard wrote, a tune called The Beauty of Who You Are. And I just, one of the guys brought the song to the bus one day and played it, and I thought, my God, what an amazing vocalist. What a great song. I just love the lyric. It's a real sexy lyric. Uh, it starts off with a... There's a soft, sweet space on the back of your neck. Smells like rain. There's a way you. There's a. There's a way you. You're turning me on, baby. You're turning me on. Oh, I'm telling you, it's 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 a sexy lyric, and I love and the way he sings, it just sings the hell out of it. And I just wanted to try it, you know, see if I could sing it. And uh, I can't. I can't sing it as good as he did, but I I tried. I tried. I did the best I could. (laughs) So we we got a pretty decent little recording on it. Added some big harmonies to it. The way the way we do things, and. it's really cool guitar stuff that uh, managed. They managed to turn on, hit the red button just at the perfect moment when I was playing good that day. So I don't know. That's that's one of the tunes on there that's a little different. But we did write some stuff as well. Uh, it's one of my favorite tunes on there is a song that our buddy Greg wrote called "No Wrong Way to Fall in Love," and uh, it's a it's a story song. That's that's what I think is is the quintessential factor in '90s country. Is they're great stories. They tell stories. They take you on a journey. I'm not going to badmouth today's country music, but I have a friend, a songwriter buddy of mine, that said today's country music sounds like three beer commercials strung together because they just don't tell stories anymore. It's like you're hot, I'm hot, get in the truck. And so I don't know. You think it's more melody based? Yeah, melodies too. And I love songs that start kind of low in my register, like on the verses, and then gives me a chance to really sing out on the top part of my range. National anthem. Well, yeah. Oh, so you got to start low. If you start yeah. any higher than that, <laughs> yeah, by the time exactly. you get to the end, you're cooked. I'm telling you. And, and a lot of people worry about the high note. I worry about the low note. I worry I'm not going to be able to, to hit that low note with yeah, a yeah. lot of good depth and stuff, you know. But yeah, National Anthem's one of them. And we didn't put that one on the new. We have You should have, though. That was the track you should have done, National Anthem. Should have made up a new verse. It's going to be on the, it's gonna be on the new, on the new uh, <laughs> uh, album. Yeah, I promise. <laughs> so the record came out in August. Yes, sir. And there's some new stuff on there as well. Um, I, I kind of want to go back to the, the origin of the group. And I'm always curious about the name and how many names you had before you actually settled on the name and who did you have other names with? You know, it's kind of like your whole dating history before we talk about your, <laughs> your wife. So uh, you started playing music, I'm assuming at a very young age, even if it was like piano or horn or whatever it was because you were in the band. Well, I started playing guitar. I took my first guitar lesson on the day of my ninth birthday. Did you have a guitar first. in the band? No. What did you uh, play you in mean, the band? You mean in Yeah, yeah, like band? in the marching I band. I played drums in marching band. Oh, that's, so I was, that's in the fifth cool. grade, yeah, uh, but cool. by that time I was already playing guitar. So, uh, you know, they didn't have guitar in the marching band, so I had to choose another instrument. I kind of wish I'd have chose a horn of some sort, maybe saxophone. That's a sexy instrument, I, you know. But I didn't have the amateur for it. I didn't have I had bad teeth growing up, so I didn't have the amateur. So I, I was like, well, I'll just play drums. So 
Was it th- the three drum thing? Up front, I played the three four. Yeah, yeah. I played the but I play snare as well. I'm, I, at one time, I was a decent rudimental drummer, so I can play you know, Rattamacues and Paradiddles and all of that stuff. But, but uh, yeah, I played in some Oklahoma State marching bands and stuff like that. Back in you know how Nashville is, they don't let you do your Rattamacues or Paradiddles anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, they, 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 they hire people part to do of the audition process. I know I it's why. like they get somebody else to do a Paradiddle. <laughs> so you're you're playing guitar and you're playing drums in the band. I feel the same way about band. For me, I wish I would have just been in the band because I would have loved to have learned how to play a horn just for simply knowing how to read music better. Uh-huh. Yes. At the time, I was like, I don't want to get, I don't want to get in the band. I get beat up. I get beat up enough. But I wish <laughs> I would have done that because it would have served me so much better than me having to go get a chord sheet at Walmart and learn how to play guitar like I did. You know, because I'm not musically, I'm not in any way talented musically. So I had to kind of like struggle with the fingers. But you're right. Maybe for you too, if you'd learn how to play like a French horn. True, which is probably I think one of the hardest brass instruments to learn how to a play. Xylophone, but you know, oh, xylophone, and you don't have to march if you play xylophone. You stay there on the sideline, you know, because really you can't roll them around. Well, no I wheels. If you play the bells, you got the harness. Yeah, when you get the harness, but yeah, those no, no, no girl comes up and says, "Hey, can I? Can you introduce me can to I the, the xylophone? Player? Yeah, oh, yeah, can yeah, I, yeah. I want to meet the xylophone player. Nobody says that. So guitar. That was, the, that was the instrument that'll get you a girl. How long did you play in the marching band? All through, up from fifth grade, all through high school. And did you play yeah. drums the whole time? The whole time, yeah. Well, in marching band, yes. In uh, pep band, I, or excuse me, in, in uh, stage band, I played guitar. Pep band, which was our, we played at basketball games pretty much only. Uh, at that time, Greg had already left to go to college, so I borrowed his bass guitar and played that in pep band. Okay, talk me through these three here, because I'm very jealous of people who played music in band early on. <laughs> marching band is... I know that because I played football. Just football games. You're out in the, yeah. in, in the middle of the field doing yeah. the deal. Okay. Pep band is basketball only? That's what we called it. Pep okay. band. Yeah, it was our basketball smaller. band. It was a smaller band, so we had a bass guitar. and We weren't marching, obviously. So I could, I could More bring funk. an amp. I could bring an amp. Uh, we, we didn't like marching band arrangements, but I would take the tuba part and learn it on bass guitar. That's because, cool. Yeah, so I, I wasn't a very good reader back then either. I, I could read one line because I was a drummer, but I knew what all the notes and what all the lines and spaces were. But I was more of a treble clef guy because I played guitar, which is written in treble clef. This is for all you music buffs. Classic. Me too. Yeah. Same. And so uh, bass bass clef was a little different. So I would have to like get a sheet of music and write the letters under each note before I could actually learn it. And my mom and dad was like, "You sure are spending a lot of time with this bass guitar? Are you, are you done with your studying? I mean, that's I mean, hours and hours at night. I would just practice the the bass part, which I don't even play bass anymore. I just played it. That was two years in in pep band, and that was it. And then the other one you called it. Stage band, yeah. Stage, stage band is sort of like jazz band in most schools. We would do, we would do like uh, how many people funk on stage? arrangements and let's see, it was guitar, bass, drums, and it was a kit of drums, not a, not like a drum line, but a, a drum kit. And then you would have horn sections. You'd have a couple saxophones, and be, that's a couple the of trumpets. One. Yeah, it was really cool. And I don't know why we didn't add a, a vocal thing. We could have had like a vocal quartet to it, but it was oh just nobody all, sang. No, it was just all mu- instrumental arrangements. Yeah, oh, it's so like we did soul man. That's cool, but I'd have been like bored. That. I'd have been bored if nobody was singing. Yeah. But could you sing at that time? I could, I, but I was only singing harmony parts back then. It was before my voice changed, and so I was singing the high tenor vocals in every band I played in back then. So, so I started a high playing tenor in bands would be a mm, yeah, the, yeah, the right above the lead vocal. Mm. So it's not not even that high then. Ha. Well, it's too high for me to sing now. <laughs> yeah. What's uh, what's what do you, what's the really high one? Uh, well, all, for a female voice, it'd be soprano. Soprano, yeah. or for a kid that had his uh, nuts cut off. Oh, exactly. do, we call they, those castrados. Yeah, castrados. There, there's an actual term for that. No way. We, we don't. I guess we don't do it anymore. But back in the you know the, yeah. the medieval times, I was serious. That's what they, they used. To, they would they would take them off and, and they call, call them castrados. Yeah, that's a funny <laughs> band name too. 
Oh, like that would should, be a good band. We should remember yeah, that. The Castrados. For the next little parody you want to do, we'll call them the Castrados. <laughs> this is going to get millions of hits. Yeah, yeah. yeah we were talking about four castrators. But that's really what happened. That's what they used to do <laughs> back in the day. Yes. Um, so you're playing music all through high school. Now you're talking to your parents, like they're like, you're getting your homework done. Did they think that you actually had a career in music, even if it was music teaching, or were they like, all right, Heath, we, we need to really focus because you're going to have to run the ranch? Yeah, well, I was fortunate. I had very supportive parents growing up, and I they would never like, you know, put, why don't you put this music aside and, and focus on something real? They never asked me to get a real job or anything like that. And they and they knew that one day I would, I was an only child, so I was going to be the one who would inherit the ranch and have to run it one day. But when I when I graduated high school and and moved on to college, they were like, "What are you going to study?" I said, well, "I don't know. I was thinking maybe music education or something musical." Yeah. I said, "We sure." We sure would like for you to consider doing something else just in case, you know, the music thing doesn't work out for you. Maybe just uh, something to fall back on. That was always their phrase. Diversifying the portfolio. Exactly. So I went to school and I got a a degree in business management with a minor in accounting. I can still name four different depreciation methods right now. I can name none. So that's all right. Well, then you will know if I got a line or not. I have no (laughs) idea if you're telling me the truth or not, if you're just saying words. So where'd you go to college? I went to Northeastern State University in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. And I I know Tahlequah too, don't I? Probably. Don't I Tahlequah? Have I been there? Oh, yeah. I've been to Tahlequah. Oh, you went to Sam and Ella's that's Pizza. That's where Carrie Underwood used to work at the pizza yes. place, and her big pizza thing is up there. Sam and Ella's. And that's yes. where the guys from um, – yeah, it's where Caitlin's parents went to school, but it's also the guys from Turnpike Troubadours are from there. That's true. Oh, and you I, know the Turnpike Troubadours? Yeah. And they I just br- got inducted into the Oklahoma Music Hall of Fame last year. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I brought up Tahlequah to them because a lot of those towns, I, I get mixed up, but – well, we have a lot of weird Native American names for our towns. Yeah, and, and you know, Native American sounds to me are a bit like German sounds where some of the sounds don't go together in how I would spell out things. Mm-hmm, but in their, mm-hmm. but so they kind of sound funny, both yeah. to me, even even like Mandarin. It just has a – but the same thing happens where I get them mixed up and I was like, hey, I knew how to say Tahlequah though. And the guy was freaking out from Turnpike. He's like, you know how to say Tahlequah? That's I was awesome. like, I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there was a prom we, store too there, right? Like a dry store They used to compete with your moms? Yeah. Okay. No shout outs there. Okay. Yeah. No shout outs there. Yeah. So, it's funny, but Tahlequah, uh, as you said, it's, it's got a weird, most people couldn't pronounce it if they didn't know how to. How to. The town that uh, Carrie is, all, is from, also, she people used to mispronounce her town all the time. She's from Shakota, Oklahoma. And I lived right near like Washita, it was spelled Oachita. Yes. And so again, had I not known, I mean, it's just yeah. an odd pronunciation from a guy from the south in Arkansas. I'm told that Jimmy Webb, when he wrote Wichita Lineman, he, he actually wrote it as Washita Lineman because he's from Oklahoma. And he saw a guy working on some Highline wires one day. He thought that's the loneliest job in the world. And it it was the Washita Lineman until he turned it into his publisher. And the publisher said, I love everything about the song except the title. All the people in Wichita are pissed right now that you're sharing that. That's like their, <laughs> that's their claim to fame right yeah. there. Well, you know, Jimmy Webb, he's our claim to fame. He's okay. Hang tight. The Bobby Cast will be right back. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop the new styles. 
You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. And we're back on the Bobbycast. So you're in Oklahoma and you're going to college. Did you end up staying and finishing school? Or did, I did. Really? I did. I got my degree in business management. And I got. An, I went on the road with a band immediately after that because that's what I wanted to do. After you graduated college? After I graduated college. After, well, I did take a short break. A band that Greg and I had together at the time was... was What's the name just, of it? This is what I like. This band was called Breakaway. Okay. And this band was a group that we had put together from another band that we had been in when we were kids. And we sort of broke away from that band and, and decided to make up, do our own thing. Break, break hence away. break away. So they, we went on the road. We got signed to it with a booking agent. And he put us to work. And so I took a year off in the middle of all that. But I did go back and finish my degree there so at Tahlequah. You, you finished school, just in case. Mm-hmm. But while you were in school, were you playing music around? I was. I actually played in Tahlequah. I had a lo- local band at the time called the Heath Wright Band. I'll never forget. We played this. Uh, Tahlequah has a, a thing. Back then, they had a thing called Pioneer Days. And it was just a weekend out of the summer. This pizza place hired us to play in the parking lot to kind of bring people in. It wasn't Salmonella's. It might have been where Salmonella's is now, but I forget the name of the pizza place back then. And I'd never forget the sign on the front said, All You Can Eat, Heath Wright Band. 
So they could eat you fruit. all they want. All they want. Yes. All they, yeah, all they could eat. Eat right, man. And how, how often did you guys play while you were in college? Or did you have to not play as much because you really wanted to graduate and finish school? Well, pretty much weekends. I yeah. mean, there was a club in Tahlequah called El Paso City Limits, and we played there a lot. Played, you know, just a few clubs in Muskogee and, and surrounding areas. So it was just a weekend band. Did I, you feel like you were just kind of biding your time until you finished school where you could go and pursue it professionally? Exactly. So that was the plan. That was the plan. I wanted to get. I wanted to get the degree, have something to fall back on, like my mom and dad said, and then get out and just start pursuing it full time. And I joined a band, another local band in Oklahoma. And again, they were just doing nightclubs, just the nightclub circuit. And I did that for a little over a year. And I realized I wasn't really getting anywhere. I was playing to the same clientele every six weeks. We were on a six week rotation. We had like eight or nine different clubs that we worked in that area. And so I went back to school. This time. To study music at a small college in Leveland, Texas, called South Plains College. I'm assuming that's in like North North Texas, like Panhandle. It's out west. No, it's West Texas. Uh, it's below the Panhandle. It's south of the Panhandle, but it's just west of Lubbock. Did you move down there to do that? I did. I moved there. I, well, I already had one degree, so I didn't have to take any of the normal general educational requirements. I think I had to take one history class because Texas requirements were a little different than Oklahoma requirements. But I got a degree in country music. They called it commercial music, but I studied country music the whole time I was there. Country and Western swing. That's like me getting a degree in people named Bobby from Arkansas. <laughs> just already got it. I got to do a lot of work. Yeah. I already know well, it. I, I knew a lot when I went there because I'd been playing in bands for most of my life, but I learned a lot while I was there too. I'm telling you, I learned about things that I didn't have a whole lot of experience at being in, in the studio. And I'd done a lot of recording in studios by that time, but I was on the other side of the glass. So I learned about different types of microphones and signal flow. Oh, and, a lot of technical. Yeah, you know, a lot of multi-tracking stuff. Yeah. It, so I, you know, I learned a lot more about producing while I was there as well, you know, taking a group of musicians and ending up with a finished song, a finished product. I produced a lot of my own student, student projects. I produced a few other students' projects while I was there. And the stu- the the faculty, the, just amazing. Some of those faculty members would hang with me like until nine o'clock in the evening in the studio, just help, just helping me kind of get my projects finished. And, and I, the whole time, by the time I got up every morning at 7 a.m. to the time I collapsed in my bed at midnight every night, I was a better musician. I knew that every morning when I woke up, I was going to be a better musician by the end of the day. So you're going to school after you had kind of been burnt out by playing the clubs. Mm -hmm. Was it with the purpose of learning more so you can go and try again on a different level? Or were you like, I still want to be in music, but I'm going to go learn it. Maybe I'll be a producer. Well, it was just. So, I mean, if, if you're going to be a doctor, you'd go to medical school. If you, if, you know, if you're going to be a, an attorney, you'd go to law school. So I just wanted to get as much knowledge as I could. But I didn't really want to. And you know, no offense to people who play in symphonies and stuff. I didn't have aspirations of playing in a philharmonic. I didn't want to study Mozart and Bach and Chopin and all of that. I wanted to study, you know, George Strait and Garth and Restless Heart. And I wanted to study that type of music that was making money, that was out there commercial. That's so. That's the name of the degree, the commercial music degree. One of my classmates was Trent Willman, the Cody Cody Johnson's uh, producer. Uh, Natalie Maines from Dixie Chicks went, or excuse me, the Chicks went there. Uh, after were, I, were after they, I graduated, were they? They probably weren't even a band. They were. They but, were. But, they with, had a, but with Natalie or a different lead singer at the time. Different lead. They had Laura. They had Laura Lynch at the okay. time. Yeah. And so you're going to school down there. And again, are you just looking forward to graduating so you can go start again? Not. I wasn't looking forward to it. I, I looked forward to each and every day at that school. I, I soaked up every single, every single minute of training that I got while I was at South Plains. And uh, I've since uh, they've named a freaking wing of the building after me since then and i've established a scholarship there and uh next month i go they've named me a, one of the distinguished alumni so i get to go and 
you know, be part of a, a big gala. And is it gala or gala? It could be either yeah. one. Yeah. Would you wear a cowboy hat and a robe? Do do it. Would I wear a cowboy hat and a rope? Yeah. If you go as a distinguished alumni and you're wearing the robe, <laughs> are you going to wear the oh, tassel robe. hat or the cowboy hat? Oh, oh. Well, I don't know that they'll. I don't think they do that there. I mean, it's not during the graduation ceremony, but they're just. Gonna, I'll do it anyway. You, you think I should no, wear, I the, wear the, the robe anyway? The, the robe with the with the be like I'm freaking distinguished now. Yeah. I got my own wing. I'm distinguished, <laughs> and here I am. So you finished going to school down there, and then is so okay. So. Then what? Let's form another band. Let me try solo. What happens? I had been uh, kind of doing some networking prior to that. I'd lived in Dallas briefly to play in a band that was based out of Dallas before I moved off to South Plains. And while I was there on my nights off, I would go out to the nightclubs and kind of network and just meet other band leaders and guitar players. It's like, hey, I'm playing in this band, but we only work on weekends. We fly out every Thursday. We fly home on Sunday. If, if in, in Dallas, Texas, there was nightclubs that were open six days a week. I said, if you ever need a sub, here's my cassette cassette back then here's my business card and so i had met these guys called lariat a band that was based out of texas and given them my cassette and my uh my business card and six months later they i get a call from them and they're like hey we're all based in nashville now we've all moved from texas to nashville and we got some label interest but our lead singer is leaving uh to join his cousin tim rushlow to do a duo project from Little Texas, yeah. To do a <laughs> duo project called Rushlow Harris, because you know Tim's had like a, a right. hundred three record deals, different different uh, styles of 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 artists. Whether it be a two, I think he's had two bands, Little Texas, and a band called Rushlow. And anyway, but he was getting ready to do a, a duo thing at that time, and he was going to his cousin uh, Donnie Harris was his name was quitting the band Lariat to go join Tim Rushlow. Were you marketing yourself as a singer or a, you no, could do it all? No, I was just a guitar player that could sing harmony parts. That, so Ricochet again, you're, you're is still, the first band I've ever been the lead singer of. So you're still yeah. not like, here's my tape of my lead vocals. Yeah. It's like, here I am, I play guitar and I well, can sing no, with actually, you. Well, actually, to be honest, I had recorded four songs as lead vocalist as part of projects with other bands that I'd been in, bands that Greg and I had been in. But so. it wasn't your main thing, like, I'm here to be the lead vocalist. No, I, I, I didn't, I never marketed myself as a lead vocalist. I was just a guitar player who could sing harmony parts. And that's kind of what I was looking for. I didn't ever consider myself a front man but they needed a lead singer they already had a guitar player and so i was like oh okay i'll i'll try that and so i uh, joined the band and through no fault of my own i want to point out the band fell apart the following month wait so when you say join the band <laughs> did you move to nashville i moved to nashville to join lariat to join the group lariat which eventually became ricochet so okay you move here for a month you're in lariat and you're the lead yeah. singer of Lariat. For a, for a month, yeah, for about a month. How did it all fall apart so quickly? Oh, well, again, no fault of my own. The two original brothers of Ricochet, Jeff and Junior Bryant, were the leaders of, of the band Lariat. And they had signed a new management deal with some guy that uh, – he wasn't really – a, a music manager. He was he owned a carnival business, and he would take his carnival from town to town, and he would you know tell the chamber of commerce, "Look, I've got a carnival, and bring it to your town, and it's turnkey. I've got all the food vendors, I've got all the rides, I've even got a band that can play the beer tent." So he it was all turnkey, and so he had a whole summer's worth of dates booked with Lariat, the band I was about to join, and that was one of the enticing parts about moving to Nashville. I knew I wouldn't have to get a real job; I could go to work immediately with a band and make enough money to pay my bills. And then they decided that they they didn't really have – either they didn't have a contract with this manager dude or they had one that had just run out because they decided to change management. And when they did that, what they didn't realize is the old manager had copyrighted the name Lariat under his name. So he could just make Lariat so appear just with put, him. So he just put another band together and called them Lariat and 
and then that you know the whole he was able to put all of those days on his new band's roster or and the old Larry they were just they we were they were done they had a new manager so they they didn't have they couldn't use the name Larry anymore and at that point after we lost all our dates we started losing band members so the guitar player quit he was one of the first ones to quit I'm like well I play guitar too I can take that over that part but then everyone started quitting and it just eventually got to where we were just rebuilding the band so who was left you and the two the two brothers Jeff and Junior Bryant were the only two and we had a temporary bass player who didn't want to do it permanently he was a little older than us he was in his 40s and uh he didn't want to go on the road permanently so he was like well i'll stay with you till you find someone more permanent that's when i brought my buddy greg in from oklahoma from oklahoma yeah he had just finished a degree in microbiology with a course concentration in chemistry or and something he's like i'll come so, play so, yeah. music so, yeah I'm, i've got my degree now i can come do what i want you know so he was uh he was all for you know moving to nashville and Joining the band, this new band that I was putting together, and we were going to—we didn't even have a name yet, honestly. I mean, you just moved here too. It's like you moved mm. here to be a part of something. Now all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, now you're yeah. the leader of putting a band together. Exactly. So I get, yeah, I get to be the guy that, that starts networking and putting it all together. And so, eventually, I think by February of '94, we had it together. We had our last member in place, and we had our, our vocal blend that I really wanted. I knew I wanted a big West Coast style harmony vocal blend. What's that mean, West Coast style? West Coast style. It's like the Eagles. It's when there's two harmony parts above and two harmony parts below. That's sort of the, the West. So it's West like Coast a burger style. with a lot of layers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Got yeah. it. Got above it. and below. <laughs> so you're you. How many are in the band at that at '94 when you finally say this six. is it? There's we six were six pieces piece then. So me on lead vocals and lead guitar. That's money. That's too much money. Yeah, it, oh, I agree. I agree. But you know what? I'm gonna recommend you to not do that back in '94. Well, I kind of wanted to have a steel guitar player. You that also wanted to have the hamburger had. vocals or whatever you called them. Yeah, you can't do uh, that West with three Coast. people. Yeah, well, West you can't Coast. really do that with three people. I knew I needed at least five to do West Coast harmony, and like like a Restless Heart type type band. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well. I need something to set the music, the bed part of our sound, not just the vocals, but the musical bed, set that apart from everybody else. And I couldn't think of any bands out there that featured a steel guitar and fiddle. We already had a fiddle player. I was the guitar player, but we didn't have a steel. So I talked to guys. I said, instead of hiring another guitar player to replace the one that quit, why don't you let me take over guitar duties and let's hire a steel guitar player? And so that was the last instrument that we had. The last guy was Teddy Carr, and he, we added him. We found him here in Nashville. Actually, he lived... Uh, some one of the out, outlying towns. The name of the town escapes me right now. But he uh, he had advertised in uh, Dick McVeigh's musicians referral service. So I found him through that. Brought him in, auditioned him. He was great. wasn't a singer though, but that's all right. I already had my five vocals. So I already had my can't five even, vocals. Can't even take another one. So then it's like yeah. European vocals. I mean, West Coast. <laughs> you had one more. God dang. So you are six in. That's just so many people. It was a lot. And we didn't make a whole lot of money at the beginning because we were only playing nightclubs for like, you know, $3,000 a week. And we'd be there the, the whole week, you know. And so we were maybe if we, if we were lucky, we were getting about four to $500 in our, a week in our pocket. Did you need you know? that much to survive then, though? No, no. I didn't have a family. Right. Some of the other guys did. But fortunately, they had wives who had real jobs. <laughs> so, you know, there's something to be said for that. You know, it's like a, it's like, I don't know. It's like having a, every good rancher also has a wife that works in town. <laughs> it has a good job in town because you're going to have years where you just don't make money in, in ranching. And for me, that's, that's every year. What was, <laughs> what was the name of the band at first when all six of you got together? Oh, that's when we decided to, to go from Lariat to, and we knew we needed a new name. And we were, the new manager owned a nightclub in Columbia, Missouri called the Silver Bullet. He wanted to call us the Silver Bullet Band, not realizing that Bob like Seeger already yeah. had that name for, for decades. And so I said, no, we can't do that. And it needs to be one word. It should be two or three syllables like Alabama or Alabama. 
Okay, that's four. Restless heart. It's, that's two words, but still three syllables. So I'm, I'm You're thinking, over two here. Yeah, I'm yeah, <laughs> still thinking, trying, trying to something that would be memorable, you know. But it's only one or two words, and so uh, our man, manager's uh, his wife come up with a name. How about Ricochet? It would look cool on the marquee outside if it said the Silver Bullet presents Ricochet. And I'm like, yeah, I like it, Ricochet. And after Shenandoah broke up, you know, because there was a little uh, time when they broke up, we were the most misspelled band in country music. I don't know that I can spell it Ricochet right now. Look at the page. R I C H. Wait, hold on. No, 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 no. Thank you for playing. Don't, don't do me. Okay, hold on. Ricochet. R I C O Shay. That's right. Oh, shit. Yeah. Ricochet. C H E T. R I C O. Yeah, that's right. I closed my eyes, though, so you didn't know I was cheating. I'm a man of integrity. I've read that about you. Yes. So you guys are playing. There's six of you. Are you good? We were actually fairly good, I thought. We, not. Because we were just naturally good, I think because we put the work in. Uh, like I said, we would be at a nightclub for four or five nights at a time back then. We were just playing dance sets, you know. And so during the day, I told the guys, I said, you know, if we were working real jobs, we'd be working eight hours a day. So why don't we get together and do a vocal rehearsal this afternoon? Let's learn a new tune for this, you know, we'll, we'll add it to the show. We'll go down to the club and rehearse it, you know, make sure it's good. And so we spent a lot of time just just putting in the work. And figuring out exactly where everybody's vocal was going to be in, in in the mix, and figuring out you know parts and making sure everything was in tune and in pitch and in time, and and uh, paying a lot of attention to like when we would work up someone else's song, like a Diamond Rio song or something, making sure that all of the parts were right. You know, I'm a huge Jimmy Olander fan. I was just uh, we just did a show with him this past Saturday, and Jimmy's got this cool guitar that's got double benders on it. it it's he got to kind of. It's hard to explain, but it's you. Know, you can't just buy a guitar off the off the raw, off the wall that's got these benders in it. You have to have them specially installed. There's a guy here in town named Joe Glazer that does them, and so I had to have the same thing. I had to have a guitar with double benders in it. So we would work up a lot of a lot of Diamond Rio stuff and make sure that all the parts were right: vocal parts, mandolin parts, guitar, whatever. And so any, but anything we did, whether it be a Tracy Bird, Tracy Lawrence song. <sighs> Restless Heart, whatever. We we took great pains and efforts to make sure that our covers of those songs were were right, you know. And I don't know that a lot of cover bands did that back then. So what if when you ask was were we good? I think we were. I think we were one of better better cover bands out there at the time. So two things, but one, were you it sounds like you're now well, first you were the guy moved and for a month you were a role player in a bigger band that you were like, Hey, I can fill in and I can take that job. Mm-hmm. But now it's you're you're the general I feel like, like you had to take a leadership position quickly. Pretty much. I don't know if the two Bryant brothers just weren't cut out for that or if they just didn't want the job because there's a lot of work that goes along with, with leading a band. Um, so I, you know, I was the guy that carried the credit card and kept track of the receipts and all of that stuff. So I, uh, you think I with two degrees. I had, well, I had, I had business degree yeah. too, so that didn't hurt. And I actually read every contract that was put in front of me, every word of, it. I'm probably the only guy in the original Ricochet band that read all 64 pages of our recording con- contracts. So, you're you a type know. A personality? Uh, oh yes. Do you know what your Enneagram is? My what? Your, the Enneagram number? No. See, I don't even know what you're doing. It's yeah. like you're speaking a whole other language I am. It's right Mandarin. Now. I mentioned it earlier. I'm oh, pretty good at okay. speaking it. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely feel a lot of type A in you, which I think is pretty cool. <laughs> you are with the group. There's five people. Uh, just, it doesn't matter. Six of five, you. Five plus you. You okay. five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. um, it doesn't matter who the six are and if you all love each other. That's a hard dynamic. It is. Just because you have six. I mean, I do the radio show and I have all my best friends. And there are still times we want to kill each other. Mm-hmm. Even though we love each other, we've been together 15 years. 
because it's just six different attitudes, personalities, people. And so now you're also probably having to manage that, which isn't really what you knew the dynamic was you're going to be managing. So were you, were you like the dad? Oh, probably not. Gosh, I don't know. I was, I was probably the problem child. Honestly, you can be both. <laughs> I guess, you know, I, and I'm, I've got a weird personality. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm very uh, meticulous. Well, the guys like you're putting them through boot camp to well, play. The guys yeah. used to love playing tricks on me. For example, I like when I get into a hotel room, I have to take everything out of my shaving kit and line it up. You know, all the toothpaste and toothbrush right here, and then the the deodorant and the and the cologne here, and then the shaving stuff over here. And I did that every so I wouldn't leave stuff behind. So I did that every single time. For we organization reasons. Organization. Yeah. So the guys thought it'd be funny as hell to take one of those little uh, trays and super glue all my stuff out of order. And so the, just little things like that. Pretty funny. Yeah, it was. Although I'm funny. more like you than them, uh-huh. and that's still pretty funny. That is. Yeah. Was, Anytime you get super one. glue involved, it's pretty funny. I guess we had too. That's when I decided we had too much time on our hands. And we mm. needed to do more focus. More versus. work. More <laughs> work. Were they ever like, "Heath, chill out, man. We don't want to practice every day." Yeah. Uh, no, I was lucky. You know, like Eddie K. Especially, he was. He was great. He. I don't think I ever outworked him. He was great at just like, he was our vocal arranger. So if we did anything that was non-parallel vocals, like, you know, when the melody goes up, so do the harmonies. When the melody goes down, so do the harmonies. Parallel vocals. If we did anything that was like counterpoint or, any, you know, choral type singing, if we did anything, like, for example, uh, we did a, a acapella version of Let It Snow. He arranged every note of that. Our acapella version of uh, Star Spangled Banner, he arranged every note of that. that was, that's pretty meat and potatoes, but uh, he's, he's just got that kind of mind. I think it comes with being a keyboard player. So I, I was lucky to have a group of guys that had a good, strong work ethic and uh, they weren't nervous. There was no lazy ones in the band, not even the original band. How did you go from cover band to band that's doing their own songs? That well, transition doesn't always happen. True. We got lucky, honestly. I, we were, it was during a time when country music was going through some changes and they were kind of losing a lot of bands. I mentioned little Texas had taken some time off the road. Uh, Restless heart, Larry had left the band to go out and do a solo thing. As a matter of fact, our original guitar player went with Larry Stewart. Uh, other bands like the Gibson Miller Band and the Pirates of the Mississippi, they just disbanded. And so country music was needing some bands at the time. And so we had uh, we got lucky that the A&R guy from uh, Columbia Records heard us one night at a nightclub. And as I say, you know, the rest is history. Wow, so he was just there and heard Well, I think it, it was arranged for him to be there. I believe somehow our manager had a friend of a friend that somehow knew uh, Blake Chancey. Did you know he'd be there? Yeah. We was did. like a ball player knowing a, a, yeah, we were nervous scouts up there? Yeah, we were very nervous. Uh, to make him work extra hard that day, like four sessions? No, I, I think we probably rested that day. So Double be, West so Coast be, vocals? So be fresh. So yeah. be fresh for the, for the big record producer that was going to be in, or the A&R guy that was going to be in, in the audience that night. Did so. he come up to you guys after the show or was did he reach out like a couple days later? No, he came up to it. We met after we had a few drinks afterwards and he says, I really like what I hear. Let me let me go back and talk to some people. And I, I think the I think he did it just as a favor to his dad. Blake Chansey was his name. His dad was Ron Chansey, the big producer of the Oak Ridge Boys and T. Graham Brown and and uh, Ron was the friend of the friend of our manager. So we managed to get in touch with Ron. Ron uh, got in touch with his son, Blake, who had just taken over the AR position at Sony Music. And so Blake did it as a favor to his dad, but his intention was to say no. His intention was to come out here, give it, give us a listen. Oh, and he also brought a guy named Cliff Aldrich with him. And so he wanted Cliff to hear him so that he could put the blame off on Cliff. Said, no, it's just not what we're looking for. But they got back to town and they had a meeting the next next day or the next week, whatever. And Cliff said, well, I think it's one of the best live bands I've ever heard. 
I said, but they're just a cover band right now. But I think they have potential to, they have a, original sound. So I think they have potential. They have great vocals. And he sung our praises. And Blake was looking at him. He's like, you're, you're supposed to say no. you know. But uh, it did worked out. You know, it worked out. Were you guys writing anything at the time? Or were you just practicing to, Not a lot. to make a living? We weren't writing. I had taken, I was new to the songwriting game. I had just learned how to write a song at South Plains College, you know, the year before that. I took a songwriting class there. It was part of the curriculum. And so I was completely new. So I'd done some writing. One of the reasons I brought Greg into the band, because I wanted him to be a co-writer on the road with me. He and I had written some when I was home for vacations and stuff. Greg is naturally talented at that sort of thing. He's really good. And so was Eddie Kilgallen. Uh, I was new to it. And still, my main contribution to a co-writing session is uh, chord patterns, melodies, things like that. I'm not a great lyricist. But, you know, I could at least lend that to a, a songwriting session. I... Uh, we didn't do as much writing as I wish we had because I wish we would have had a whole bunch of songs to turn into our label and say, look, look at all these songs we've written. Let's, let's record 10 of those, you know, but we didn't. And uh, so we ended up for the first album. Nobody got a single song on the first album. I, I'd had a publishing deal in Nashville prior to that. So I did manage to get some songs written here in town with some great songwriters. And I thought one or two of them was good enough to be on the album, but apparently the label thought otherwise. So we didn't get anything. Whenever you're a cover band and then all of a sudden you're assigned a band uh, how does your life change or does it at first oh it does everything just goes in i mean it seems like it takes forever from the time they tell you you're going to get signed to the time you start working on the project and then it takes forever to get the first song to radio um but once once that first song hit radio what do i know came out in november of 95 and I'll never forget, uh, it was it was just a whirlwind after that. I mean, we'd been on a radio tour six months prior to that, kind of introducing ourselves to the program and music directors and stuff and just kind of making sure that they knew who we were. And, and it, it, that was grueling. And sometimes we'd hit three radio stations a day. And we did that for six months all over the country. So and That was a top 10 song too, right? What do I know? Yes, it was. It went, went to number three. Really? Mm -hmm. so, well, pardon me. We, it's a top we were three trying, song. We were trying hard to get a number one out of that one as a debut single, but it didn't happen. The Bobby Cast. We'll be right back. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet and the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. 
Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Stu's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer, and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. This is the Bobby Cast. So that song is doing what it does, right? It's, it's radio stations are playing it. Are you guys playing shows as that song is climbing? Can you feel the crowds getting bigger? Oh yes, we're playing the, some of the same nightclubs we had played as a cover band, but we're playing our own music. At hard this tickets point. and people yeah, are coming to pay money. Some to see hard you guys. ticket shows, and they put us on tour. They cut us on a couple of major tours. We went out on the uh, Double Trouble tour with uh, Marty Stewart and and Travis Tritt. We were on the TNT tour with uh, Travis, excuse me, with uh, Tracy Lawrence and Tracy Bird, and then eventually the John Michael Montgomery tour. We won our first uh, uh, ACM when we were on the John Michael Montgomery tour. What was that ACM for? It was for new vocal group or duo of, of the year, 1996. What's it like back in Vianne now that you guys are on the radio? I got to imagine. Uh, well, everybody's, everybody's like, over That's it now. Du- no, no, they're not all over now. It now. I mean, not now, but then. <laughs> oh, back then it was yeah, awesome. like 97. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Uh, we used to play a show back in Vianne at the football stadium, and we'd donate all the proceeds to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital because there's two boys from Vianne who both ended up with leukemia, both treated at St. Jude, and now they're both adults. They, you know, So we, we, me and Greg talked about it. If we're ever in a position that we can do something for this hospital, we need to do it. So we started doing this thing called Green Country Jam back in Vianne. And it was just people would would come, you know, they, that was all, always a difficult day because everybody wanted to get on the bus. And how do you tell your friends, no, we can't get this many people on the bus. And plus, we're trying to get ready for show. And now we got to leave. We got to leave, you know, right after the show and that sort of thing. But so my tour manager came up with this uh, this test. If people actually knew me, then they could get on the bus. And he, he knew how to test them because my name, my full name is Perry Heath Wright. And in school, I went by my first name, Perry Wright. But then after school, I didn't think that sounded real show busy. I decided to start using my middle name, Heath. But most people back home still call me Perry. Caitlin's uncle still calls me Perry half the time. So, uh, you know, it's uh, that would be the test that our tour manager would hear a knock at the bus door and open up and say, I'm old friends with Heath and Greg. He said, really? What what you call him? What'd you call him in high school? Heath. Said, nope. Sorry. If they said Perry, he'd let him on the bus. 
So, so Vianne loves you. Nashville loves you. You're doing this festival. How long did you do the, the show, the, the show at the high school? How long did you do that? Many I years? think we did that for five years, I want to say. Uh, we started in 96 or 97. Dixie Chicks were on the show that year. They hadn't even had a record deal yet. Or had a, they had a record deal, but they were in developmental still, so no, no hits yet. And Emmy and I, Emily, the banjo player, she and I used to date. I've heard all this, but I know all this. I'm just you knew that. Well, because Caitlin would tell me these oh. stories. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to bring it up <laughs> oh. because it's not my business to bring up your business. But since you're bringing it up, I know all this because Caitlin would be like, yeah, I met the Dixie Chicks back in the day. And mm-hmm. uh, Oh, you were at that show. Awesome. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, the Dixie Chicks were there on the very first one, the inaugural show of, of uh, Green Country Jam. And they had just played in Las Vegas, New Mexico the night before. And they pulled up in their little, their little RV and they, you could tell they were exhausted, but they got up and did a hell of a show. Just amazing. And uh, a couple other of my friends were on the show that that year. And I'll never forget the year that uh, we did it. One of the last years we did it, Joe Diffie was on the show. And Joe, as you know, is an Okie. He uh, he brought his mom and dad out to the show and my mom and dad were there as well and my mom and joe's mom sat on the bus and chatted like they were old high school buddies it was just it's so good to see them get together joe refused at the end of the day we would write checks for at least expenses because we wanted to give as much money as we could to saint jude but we would reimburse these guys for their payroll and their bus fuel and their bus lease or whatever they whatever their expenses were they would just give us an invoice and they'd say all right joe refused to take a penny in expenses that day so he took a loss he took a to lot. See, definitely. I don't know if he was if it was a routing date for him or if he just. And we only asked him to fly out and do an acoustic set, and we would pay for his plane ticket and all of that. And he says, ah, "I'm going to bring my whole band." And the reason he did that is because we had played his. Um, he had a a charity show uh, for First Steps. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. He had a country show he used to do at the Ryman every year called Country Steps In for First Steps, and we played it like the four or five years prior to that. So he. I don't know. Maybe he felt like he owed us, but he he was such a good guy. Refused yeah. to take a penny in expenses that day. That's awesome. Yeah. You guys have a record deal. The song goes number three. What do they come with second? After Daddy's Money. Daddy's Money was the next. So we would have released Daddy's Money first, but what do I know? We weren't the first ones to get our hands out, or maybe we were. We It was written by three great songwriters, Stephanie Smith, Kathy Majeski, and Sonny Russ, and they all had different publishers. And so no one knew who got the hold on the song first because the publishers were pitching it around town. So we both, both us and Linda Davis recorded that song at the same time. We knew that if we released Daddy's Money first, that we would probably lose What Do I Know as a single. So instead, we went with the more mid-tempo ballad, What mm-hmm. Do I Know? And we didn't even release a video with it because we spent all of our you know, promotions budget on a, on a uh, tour, a, a radio tour, you know, six months prior to that. Anyway, we managed to get What Do I Know released, and then it went top five, number three on Billboard, or, or R&R, and five on Billboard, I think. And then... We were, we were free to release Daddy's Money, and that thing shot up to number one like in 16 weeks. Yeah, I was going to ask if it felt different from the moment that it hit because than the, than the first song. It sort of did because there was a video on that one, so we were more recognized after that. Uh, a lot of people would come to our show they, before that, and they would, you know – they knew that there was a free show at you know a little bit of Texas in St. Louis or whatever, and so they would come out and and uh, listen to us, and they would, then we'd do What Do I Know? And I said, oh, I didn't know that was you guys that did that because we're, there was no video on What Do I Know. But Daddy's Money had a video attached to it, and so there was a lot more recognizability there. And that song is so catchy. <laughs> I mean, we, we'll still play it sometimes on my show. Awesome. Just be, or Caitlin also sings it all the time, too, walking Does around she? the house. Yes, bless you, all the time. 
<laughs> so that song, you say 16 weeks is what it took to get to number 16 one? 16 weeks, as I recall, yeah. Now, did it go away quickly because it shot up so fast, or did it stay for it a while? It stuck at number one for two weeks, which I guess was pretty good back then, because yeah. I remember everyone being so surprised that it's, it was there for a second week. Because, we like like I said, we were kind of expecting it to to be more of a you know in and out kind of song. It was, it, I mean, it's, let's be honest. It's, it's that song's not going to cure cancer. It's not really saying anything. It's, it's a fun Change the world. It's just a fun, it's a fun song. Catchy song. It's fun and sure. catchy, and and you know it was it served its purpose for that for that summer for us. We needed a fun catchy song for the summer, and we released it, and it went to number one, and got us a whole lot more recognition, and even got us an award. And so you know we were lucky to have that song as part of our career. Did you ever feel like you resented the song? Ah. That's well. I resent it every day when I try to sing it now because we still do it in the same key. You have well, you, well, you have to. Yeah, that would be tough to not. It's so high. It's just I so damn high. That. I can see that. Did you Did you ever feel like because I I didn't even know all the words. I just knew the melody from hearing on the radio. And then Kaylin would sing it so much. I know every word of the song now because uh-huh, she really? sings it all the time. Yeah, every word. And so, <laughs> did you ever feel like? And I say this because I think I love the song. And I look back at that time in my life, and it brings me back to that time, right? That's what music does. It takes us back People to that People tell time. me that a lot. Yeah. Because yeah, music is, is the soundtrack of your life, you know? And so I remember, you know, where I was at that time. But you, you have this song that you say you didn't get a single cut on the record. And they had you put it in it shot up. But were you ever like, I wrote songs better than this? And then well, you put it on I, the record. I, I might have had that thought a time or two. But the truth is, it's those little simple, catchy songs that absolutely uh, that sound so easy. But they're not that easy to I write, agree. you know? I mean, who would even think about that scenario, about this guy being all, uh, you know, confused and not not being able to pay attention to the preacher because he's got his eyes on this girl in the choir loft and that's all he can think about. And now he's praying to God, if you got any, if you got any miracles handy, just grant me one. Let me walk down the aisle and say I do to, the, to that angel with the choir robe on. You know, that it's just little... Little scenarios like that don't come every day. And I've, I've heard that Mark D. Sanders used to write along those lines a lot. He always would have some sort of little religious thing in his songs, like uh, uh, Walking in Jerusalem, uh, Tracy Bird, he wrote that. So he would put some sort of little wholesome churchy thing in all of his songs like that. And who knows? I mean, I really thank Jeff Carson for showing up at the right time. Do you know the story behind Daddy's Money? I don't. All right, settle in. It's a long story. All I know is that <laughs> I would hear it as a kid and be like, more laughs than a stack of comic books worth of is. And I'd be like, I don't read comic books. This must have been an older dude who wrote it. That's what I used to think. Well, it's three older dudes. It was, uh, I guess you can call them that now. But it was Mark D. Sanders, Bob DePiro, and Steve Seskin. They're sitting in a room one day at a publishing company trying to come up with something to write about, right? And there's a window there in the, in the room that they're writing in. And they see uh, this, this young demo singer named Jeff Herndon pull up who eventually would become Jeff Carson. Uh, so Jeff pulls up in this brand new Jaguar. Now he's just a demo singer. He's hadn't even got a record deal yet, as far as I know, and absolutely no hits. And the guys start talking, well, how the hell can Jeff afford to drive a Jaguar? I mean, he's just singing demos as far as we know. And he maybe, maybe has a publishing deal, but you know, hadn't written any hits or anything. And I believe it was Mark D said, well, have you seen that woman that he's married to Kim? Not only is she gorgeous, apparently she's got her daddy's money too. Voila, they had something to write about at that point. So I used to thank Jeff. I used to say, man, thanks for showing up at just the right time. And thanks, Kim, for letting for letting him drive your car that day. You know? Oh, that was her car too? It was her car. Oh, yeah. that's funny yeah. too. So when they when they they say, Okay, you guys, you sound awesome live, but we need a record now. So this is this song called Daddy's Money Record. What'd you think the first time you heard it to record? I heard it over the phone for the first time. I was at home in Oklahoma. Uh, the record label had given us a small signing bonus, and so I took my Two or three thousand dollars to the sale barn that day to buy some heifers, and uh, 
that's how I wanted to invest my my record bonus, my record signing bonus. And so my dad and I, and this was before cell phones. I didn't have a cell phone. My dad and I were at the sale all day long. And we came home. My mom says, son, uh, somebody named Uncle Ron just called you. I said, Uncle Ron, that's Ron Chancy. That's our producer. Well, he says you need to call him back immediately, something really important. So Uncle Ron, Ron Chancy, plays our that song. He says, we just got this tune in. And if we don't put a hold on it soon, we're going to lose it. So he played it for me. I listened to every word of it, the whole the whole demo. Ron Wallace sang the demo. I'll never forget. Great vocal. And I thought, that is the silliest damn song I've ever heard. What, what was the? Uh, <laughs> but, but I said, look, we got to hold it because it's going to be a huge hit. I, I can sure. already tell. You know, sonically, obviously on a phone though. But when the demo was it a fully produced demo? Yeah, or was fully it, produced. So you fully so it had demo. like electric guitar. Yes, had, yes. I yeah. don't know that it had fiddle and steel on it. Sure. But it, it was a full band production. It wasn't just acoustic guitar vocal. But it was catchy as crap. You could. Tell. It was, and you know, like you said, uh, more laughs than a stack of comic books. Country is a turnip green. Mm-hmm. Come on. Uh, these are just phrases that I know are going to stick out and 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 be memorable. People are going to remember these phrases. So I thought, and I like the melody, and it, it, I like the way it it kind of soared up in the chorus, so give me a chance to kind of stretch out on my high range. And so it, I was like, yeah, I love the melody. It's a silly little lyric, and it, I think it's I think it's going to be catchy enough that people will love it. So did you have the expectation that it would do what it did? That oh, one, thirty years all the later? songs on the record, oh, for, no. just just even at the time, the thing goes number one. Are you like, I can't believe that's the one that did it because we have all these other songs. Yeah, too. I knew. I, look, I'd been studying country music trends for a long time. And a lot of, I mean, a lot of times it's the silly little songs that are always going to be, are going to be huge hits because they just. Are fun to sing know. by everybody else who buys music or listens to music. True. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, it was just, I just had that commercial appeal to it, mm-hmm. you know? Because like I said, I've, I've been studying country music trends and, and songs and for most of my life because I knew I wanted to be part of country music one day. So when I, you know, I've. I can't bring one to mind. White Lightning. I bet when the first time George Jones White, heard White uh, Lightning. And like the burp thing yeah, on there. Yeah. 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 Whatever that is. The uh, hiccup. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. You know who wrote that, right? The Big Bopper wrote that. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and I'm sure that when George Jones heard the Big Bopper. By the way, Big Bopper, everybody it, listening. Hello, baby. Yeah. Chantilly Lace. That, 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 that guy. Face, yeah, that yeah. guy wrote White Lightning. So, I'm sure George thought that's the silliest song I've ever heard, but it's going to be a huge hit. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt the same way about Daddy's Money. Let's take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like, it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events, there is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. 
Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Stu's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer, and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. Welcome back to the Bobby Cast. So you go and the song crushes number one for two weeks, which doesn't even happen a lot now, much less then. True. At the time, so uh, and people are seeing you on uh, CMT, mm-hmm. the, yeah, CMT planet. and GAC. Are you starting to get recognized just randomly? And do you wear a cowboy hat? Would you wear a cowboy hat out? Because I would if I were on a. Mu- well, video. back then I didn't wear a hat. Back then I had the award-winning mullet, dude. Come on. No, I don't, I don't know that version that. of you. Oh, really? No. Well, you got to watch the video sometime. Yeah. I, it was, it was never, a beautiful I, haircut. It really I, was. <laughs> never. Seen, do you remember so, him with the mullet? You, oh, really? Uh, yeah. I just started wearing the cowboy hat after I moved back to the ranch in 2008. Yeah, yeah. see, I don't know you without the cowboy hat. Oh, how because, cool is that? That's kind of neat, really. I only so know you only the, know, know the cowboy version I need to see. Hold on. I need to see this. What is Oh no, blue! It was a baby powder blue shirt, which was a gift from Emily. Believe it or not, I don't know if I ever said that in an interview or not. That powder blue shirt that I'm wearing on the on the cover of uh, our debut album was a, a gift, as well as the boots, the ostrich boots I was wearing was a gift from Emily Irwin from Dixie Chicks. Okay, right. Here. I still have the boots, and somewhere I probably have that powder blue shirt somewhere. I did Heath right hair, and it gave me a hair salon. <laughs> Just put in Daddy's money. Yeah. Okay. Do you play videos on your podcast? Are you allowed yeah. to do that? Well, yeah, we can put it in whatever kind of clips. Cool. Daddy's money video. I feel like I'm gonna be shot. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, oh, it's award winning. That is a very crazy. Haircut, Bobby. It's a very popular haircut. <laughs> that is crazy and long. Mm-hmm. And you, there's a vest. You're in a vest. Uh, no, somebody's in a vest. It's a, it's a banded They're, collar shirt with a with a. With a black ring. So it, oh, my, so it look at like, the hair. Oh, yeah. I'm wearing a, a frock coat. Look like a preacher in a frock coat. This is wild. Look at you. All right. So we added what do I know at the beginning of this video right here so that the people would know that those guys that sing what do I know are the guys you're about to see. That's a good song. idea. Who had that idea? Uh, somebody in the in the uh, 
A&R department or maybe marketing department. Probably somebody in the marketing department at, at Sony. Dude, I wouldn't even recognize. If you walked in looking like that, I would be like, who is this dude? They said Heath was coming over in the cowboy hat. <laughs> Dang, that's good. So what is it like? How old were you then, you think? I was 28, uh, 27. I mean, were you married? No, I was 28. Were you married? No. What is that? I had to get married to my mid 30s. What is that like? You're 27, 20. You get hair like that. You're traveling the country. You're single as a Pringle. Mm. I imagine those got to be pretty good. You get all the heifers you want, right? It was, it, life did not suck. I'm not going to yeah. lie. It did not suck back then. I, yeah. uh, I'd, I lived my single life and I, I lived the hell out of it. Were you in Nashville? Prim- were you living in Nashville and, and coming back to Nashville? Or were you back in Oklahoma then? No, I was living in Nashville. Like I said, I moved out here May 18th, 1993, and we got signed to Columbia in March of 95. So everyone said it's a five-year town. Be prepared to be here for five years before anything happens. But as I said, we were lucky because Nashville needed a band. The several different labels were losing their bands, and so they needed one. So we got signed within two years of my moving here. So when you moved back, was there a time? How did you guys end the band whenever you ended it the first time? Like, was it Well, like, truth right, is, we have never ended the band. I've, Greg and I, my buddy from Vianne, we kept the thing going. We just didn't have a record deal. And so everyone thought that the band disbanded. And we lost a lot of, you know, most of the original members. I'm the only original one left. So, you know, my some would say, why don't you just go solo and do the do a solo thing? And I've always answered that with, I, I like being in a band. I like the dynamic of a band and the big vocals and just there's West Coast to, vocals. West Coast vocals. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just something different about a band energy. That's, you know, it just feels different than being a soloist. Uh, and also the name. There's some, there's some name recognition. Sure, yeah, with Ricochet. Exactly. And if you do, if you do a video as Heath Wright, then you got to put both songs at the beginning of that video, so they know that you sang all those. True. And by the time you do it, you got three songs in. You haven't played the video yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's well. That's a good, so that's a good point. That. It's a good point. Yes. Uh, I don't know how I would do. That. I'm, and who knows? I may do something as a soloist one of these days because you know, I've got the freedom to do that now. I'm I'm in creative control of any project I record at this point on. So I, we've talked about you know doing a like a Heath Wright of Ricochet album someday because there like are certain would... songs that you can record that might not lend themselves well for a band because they don't lend themselves well to big West Coast style harmony and I'd like to record some of those songs I've got a whole bag of songs like that that I'd love to record some one day but they just haven't been right for a for a big a band to record I feel like you invested your money wisely <laughs> if I had money I think I would have invested it wisely I've invested in my ranch and there's anybody i tell people the best way to be become a millionaire in the cattle business is to start with two million it's just i've i don't know how my dad did it my dad managed to put me through college just selling cows and uh he was a, are you being humble no i'm i'm not i'm not wealthy wealthy man not at all i uh i might one day know what it's like to be a millionaire but that 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 hasn't happened yet <laughs> so i'm a I'm happy with doing what I'm doing. How much is that, how much does a heifer cost? A right now, one. right now they're really high. Uh, I'm I'm getting ready. I hold five uh, five grown cows, and I think they were all pregnant. I'm having them preg tested, but they they sold. What is today? Tuesday. They sold yesterday, and I expect to get for a pregnant cow. I expect to get about eight hundred to a thousand dollars each for them. And so, what does it cost to raise that pregnant cow to that point? Well, I'm selling my herd down right now because cow cows are really high right now. They're about three dollars a pound. So alive, 
Yeah, on the hoof. Yeah, on the hoof. They're three dollars a pound now. Hamburger meat is three dollars a pound. So I should be, you know, if I if I had all the FDA, I should be taking them to a processor and selling them in a package as opposed to selling them on the hoof. But there's a whole lot of FDA stuff you got to go through. Skip them for that. <laughs> who needs them? Yeah. yeah. Who needs all that governmental stuff? Yeah, who needs them? Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you still do you still enjoy the ranch life? Some days I do, and some days I just want to haul them all off right now. But I, the other day, Sunday, I was working cows. I was trying to get everything done before I came out to Nashville. And so I was vaccinating and ear tagging and, and cutting the bull calves and just trying to get everything ready because I'm going to have, I'm going to start hauling them. I'm getting rid of most of my herd right now. So I'm, I'm, uh, and about midday, about five o'clock, we had this cow jump over the gate and get her dang leg hung in the gate. And I couldn't get that thing out. We couldn't. I, we, for thirty minutes, we tried. We tried getting uh, hacksaws and sawing the gate off the hinges, and and I was afraid she was just going to die on me, just going to lay down and die. And I, we, we worked for half an hour, just trying to get that cow free of the gate. And when I finally realized that I bought this new thing called we call it a hip hugger, which you kind of clamp down on the hip bones of a cow, and you hook something, you hook a rope or a chain to it, and it, you put her on your tractor and lift her up. That's the only way we got her out. She survived somehow. She, but at one point, I was afraid I was going to just have to shoot her in the head. Like you moving know, a piano, it feels like. Like you, you have to lift it and swing yeah. it. Yeah. So that's, that's what, kind of what we did with the cow. Only we lifted her up by its hip bones, basically. And she's fine. I mean, she's running around. I've, I've got her in the pasture of, of cows that I'm about to sell. So she, but she's going to be fine. And she's a young cow. I think she's only a three or four years old. She looked. Let me re-ask the question then. Do you sometimes still love being a rancher? There are days when I love to go out on my tractor and watch them when it's early in the morning and I'm watching them graze and all the fences are up and I haven't had to haul off anything that just laid down and died because cows will find a way to either just lay down and die or kill themselves in weird ways like what just almost happened with this one cow. When everything's going perfect and I didn't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on hay or you know, fix fence the day I was supposed to leave for a road trip or whatever. When things are perfect and the sun is coming up or going down and I can watch them out there grazing on my ranch, that's when I really love it. But days like Sunday that I had when I'm <laughs> trying to keep one from killing itself or trying to get them all run through the chute before it gets dark and get them all vaccinated and ear tagging, it's, it's, it's tough. It's not, it's, ran, ranchers aren't for sissies. Uh, being a rancher is not. That's not why I'm not one. <laughs> That's exactly why I'm not one. Uh, so, Ricochet, the hits and more than it now came out uh, mid August. It's out now. Mm -hmm. And again, there, you said there are six or eight new songs on there. Six new songs, yeah. 10, oh, excuse me, 10 new songs, six re recordings of the hits. Got it. Um, this has been awesome. We've done over an hour here. Seriously? Uh, seriously. That went by fast. Done over an hour. The Keep You Loving Me is the single from this record right well that's a good question there's i guess you, we could, you could call it a single from the record i that one sweet tea are two of my favorites on here uh i've co-wrote both of them what you leave behind is another co-write of mine uh they're so all singles i guess you can that's why i like way. yeah i mean we we kind of released to the dsps six look at you with your dsp well, lingo think about vaccinated ear tagging and then digital <laughs> search. yeah come on so yeah we've sort of released six singles to the dsps but we're i guess you know at this point we're just hoping that people uh either download the project or oh let me talk about this for a minute we have partnered with the wounded blue and i don't know if you have familiar you are with the wounded blue but it's an organization out of las vegas nevada whose sole purpose cop? yeah they 
yeah, adopt a cop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Adoptacop.com. You can go to that website and donate $20 or more, and they will send you one of our new, new CDs. We donated boxes of CDs to them. So we're hoping to help raise money for them because their, their mission is to help out wounded law enforcement officers. And, you know, you'd be surprised over 120,000 uh, law enforcement officers were intentionally attacked in the last two years. That's on their website. I read that. I pulled that from their website and it's a, it's a just amazing how much, uh, how much they do for us. And it gets, gets overlooked. I've said it a hundred times. I think that the three most dangerous words ever spoken in this country were defund the police. I, I'm not a fan of that movement. This is our way of trying to counter that movement. I think we should fund the ranchers is what I think. Hey, why I think not? We should, you, just, yes. we should just give you money for no reason. <laughs> just come give me money. And, and you, could, you know what? People do that. People will come to a ranch just to stay on it for a few days. Well, no. They call them dude ranches. No, they don't. Well, you know, dude oh, ranches dude, okay. are just for the whole ranching experience. And they'll actually I, help you. Well, not yet, but I'm working on it. I'm building a barndominium so that people can come spend the weekend with me and bring your work gloves. And you know, give me a couple hundred dollars work. a day. Yeah, they pay people you will, and then they pay me, and then they help me do my work. They help me fix fence. They help me work cows. Yeah, they didn't grow up in the country then because I ain't doing that. I did you too, know, I did too much of that crap. I haul too much hay. I work too many. <laughs> yeah. That's some bull crap. Don't tell them, man. Yeah, Don't okay. tell them. This is a part of the ranching experience. Well, folks. all you rich city slickers out there, <laughs> the ranching experience with Heath is a really mm-hmm. great place. Mm-hmm. Um, you never know. You might we might get a cow. Uh, a leg hung in a gate or something. Yeah, that's that's the. That's got to pay extra for that. Well, you do have to. If something like that happens, yeah. you got to pay. You got to pay extra. Yes. Kayla, did I miss anything? Is there anything? I, if, we won't put you on camera if you don't make it. You want to talk in the microphone so we can hear you? Okay. Don't <laughs> worry. You won't be on. Just come over here. Well, we can't hear you. You're yelling from across the room. It is. It's interesting to everybody if it's interesting to you. You're the most interesting person I know. Come here. Thank you. Um, no, I just wanted to say thank you for singing at my grandpa's funeral. Well, I was honored. He was yeah. a great man. He was, uh, as your uncle said, I don't know how Jeff got through that that eulogy. Yeah. That was the best eulogy I've ever heard at any any funeral. And Jeff told me couple, the night before, he said, here's, here's the songs that I want. And he's like, five songs. I'm like, Jeff, normally at funerals, you don't do that many songs. And he says, yep, yeah, but I, th- I want these. And it was like up-tempo songs, like uh, Will a Circle Be Unbroken, mm-hmm. things like that. And I was like, well, these these aren't really normal funeral songs. I mean, you know, funeral songs are like Amazing Grace and It Is Well With My Soul and stuff like that. And he says, no, I want this to be a celebration, a celebration of life. And JB was a great man. He and my dad were good friends. And uh, I, I was honored to get to sing it. Well, we were very thankful. And I, I got to talk to Greg briefly after, but I didn't get to thank you. So oh, I just wanted to thank you. Thank it meant you. a lot. Thank you. I thank Jeff. He called me up that night. I said, thanks for having me at this, man. I I was uh, really pleased to, and honored to, to get to do it. Good. That's all. That's okay. All uh, you guys follow official Ricochet Band on Instagram. Uh, check out the record. And again, go to adoptacop.com and donate and you'll get a record there as well. That's in DSCD. Uh, there we go. That's it. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening to a Bobby cast production. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tecovis store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tecovis.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tecovis.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. 
This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.